0: Hello listeners, welcome to episode 10 of the Alex Waters Show. And on today's show, I have uh, Mark Hutchison. He is the director and owner of a company called LifeWood. It's a flooring store here in Perth. He's an incredibly successful entrepreneur. And um, yeah, Mark regularly gives speeches and talks to government, universities, private groups. He's a father community leader, human rights activist, and um, has some interesting perspectives and a lot of knowledge on, you know, what's going on in the world. We get to talk about um, his worldviews on COVID, China, democracy, freedom of speech, some, you know, really interesting and kind of, I suppose, dark um, human rights issues that are happening around the world at the moment. Um, Yeah, just a... This was a a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while, so glad we got to have it and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. That's it from me, I'll um, hand it over to myself now. (laughs) Uh, Episode 10 of the Alex Waters Show, here we go. Mark, good to have you here.
1: Alex, it's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm humbled to be invited into this yeah sanctuary <laughs> thank and uh, you. and to talk to you about matters that that are important to you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Um, one one thing really struck struck me about your story when we first met for lunch, you know, several weeks ago, uh, and that was sort of you shared a lot about um, learning some pretty hard lessons in your. I think in your early 30s. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about your story that took you to that point. <laughs>
1: yes, I, I am a, uh, what I would describe as a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I grew up as a young a man uh, in a poor household in Australind with a, a single mum with four, four boys, generally, you know, large six-foot lads living on a concrete floor, um, living pretty tough because, you know, like a lot of people, money wasn't very much available. Mum was a part-time mum and a part-time worker and and we had to fend for ourselves. So we had to be very resourceful. So I think my story is one about resilience and resourcefulness. Mm. And and as someone said, trying to be the most useful person I can possibly be. And what that's resulted in is obviously grew up hard, had had a father who who did used to, you know, traumatize his kids. And, you know, we used to get beat a bit. And and, and it was a pretty strict household. Um, Some would probably say it was potentially abusive, but... You know, these things are sent to build early resilience in you, I think. Mm. But I do have good discipline and I I was always um, very respectful. So, I think there are some good things that came out of that childhood. I failed high school, then went to university um, and managed to get a degree in in horticultural science. And from there, went on and became a a horticultural scientist and and worked with consulting firms with farms and, and other things. But always had a passion for plants. When I was a young man, I actually... You know, because mum didn't have much food, I, I grew a massive, big vegetable patch, maybe you cool. know, the size of an adver- average person's rural, uh, like a, a suburban yard would, uh, sure. would be my yard. So we used to hunt, we used to fish, we used to grow vegetables, we used to do all of that uh, to help my brothers and help my mum. And and I went and I was working as a builder's labourer when I was fourteen years old. So where everybody else was at school playing double dragon and pinball machines, I had hands like leather because I was a concrete worker. Right uh, at the age of fourteen. Wow. Kept doing school, kept doing all those, but always worked and and always saved. And then when my time came to to actually, you know, as a horticultural scientist and all that sort of stuff, I'd plateaued in my income at around about the age of 25. 25, 26, I was making the same money at guys who were 50 years old. I'm thinking, ooh, that's not cool. Yeah. So I says, okay, entrepreneurship, I'm going to give that a go. Uh, I got in business with a a, a con man, uh, a guy called Greg Johnson. Poor fellow, he he couldn't lie straight in bed. He he was <laughs> he was an unfortunate guy. But he I was always timid. And uh, I think from my background I was always quite timid and quite nervous and quite shy. And there's this guy who says, Oh, okay, this this young man's quite capable. So this con man, you know, grabs me. We start a business called Bamboo Style. It was quite a successful business. We're also setting up timber plantations as well. And we built these successful businesses. And then I found out, you know, after two years of working with this chap that That the partnership agreement that he had for me was fraudulent and that i wasn't a partner i'd i'd worked two years of my life for nothing and i was like wow so (laughs) you weren't
0: actually a partner in the business you weren't a shareholder
1: (laughs) i was a i was a very naive country Mm. country bumpkin sure who just loved working hard and had the aspiration to to do something different and yeah work for this this uh in this business and got it quite successful we were doing very well only to then find out that the internal accountant came to me one day and said uh Mark, I need to talk to you privately <laughs> because it seems that you're not actually getting you know paid from this business, and uh, and uh, things things aren't right. And I'm just going to explain to you what's going on. And that was the point I realized that hey, I was getting conned, and, yeah. and the whole thing was a farce. And but that was my journey into into business. Sure. So I found myself going from you know being a, a you know university graduate, which was like. I thought very proud to actually graduated uni to go and get a job to be in a managerial position at the age of 23, 24 in agriculture and, and agriculture and horticultural science and then basically got pulled out of that by this con man. So, I'm eternally grateful to him actually mm. um, because if I hadn't, I might have stayed in that, that sort of wage earning environment or salary earning environment because it was quite good. I was well paid as a young man.
0: Good lessons to learn
1: as a, you know, in your <laughs> 20s as well. You yeah. know, that, I mean, that's... Get know, know, a taste getting, of corp- corporate life, <laughs> oh, yeah. getting your uh, getting completely cleaned out, working yeah. for two years for free. You know, I was very, lived very poor because I lived like a student. Like even after I finished uni, I lived like a student. So I was able to survive that period where I'd put in all that work. I need to lose everything. Mm. And then everybody said, you know, you're an idiot. You know, how why could you, you know, you're being fooled. You, What was that? And I think that's your, one of the lessons in life is that, Can you overcome the fact that, yeah, you were conned, you were fooled, you were tricked and you lost everything? And that's when I started my own business. Uh, I started, I had $20,000 in savings because I used to work seven days a week and I used to work at Bunnings as a horticultural consultant and and all that and had enough savings at the end of that period. So when I got, when I found out I was gotten conned, I had $20,000. I said, Mike, what are you going to do with that 20 grand? I said, well, I've made all these contacts in China and I've made all these contacts in the industry. Um, what can you do? How can you be disruptive? And someone told me about a product that looked like timber but was made from bamboo. And I'm like, oh, I might actually disrupt the market with that. So here's this very traditional industry, which is timber flooring industry. Mm. And I'm thinking, crazy. You can actually make timber from grass and make it look like wood and it's really hard. And I pre-finished it. So so what I looked at is okay, when I didn't realise what I was doing, when I read Seth Godin's book, The Purple Cow, what I was doing back then is I was being the disruptor. Yeah. You know, I was a very traditional timber industry, had never seen a twenty-six or twenty-seven year old kid bring in a grass floorboard. Um, so bamboo is
0: considered to be a grass.
1: It they? is a giant grass. Right. Yeah, it's what we call a C4 plant, it's a very fast growing plant. And it grows in massive big plantations over in 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 or in forests in China. And all over the world, it's, it's grown everywhere. Very, very efficient at converting carbon dioxide and into carbon in and, and plant material. So a very, very useful plant in the world, and very strong. So here's this young fella with twenty grand in his pocket, working out of his living room rental property in Manning. Um, I'd disconnected from this con man. I'd fundamentally, I'd taken a range of samples from this mm-hmm. this this chap's house, uh, from this business, and put it in my house. And I was, I had a little rental property with all these samples lying around, and I. And I actually rang the West Australian, um, the editor of the New Home section. I says, "Oh, I've got this story. I've just, you know, worked for two years for free. I got my ass ripped out, and 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 I've started this new, new business. It was called It's Bamboo, and I've got this sort of quite a disruptive, quite a I didn't use the disruptive, but I, I have this wonderful product, and and people love it. And uh, and the West Australian did a did a story on it. Cool, two page editorial spread in the New Home section of the paper. That was back in the days when people used to actually read the West yeah. Australian." And they actually used to have this, read the editorial section for new homes. And and I was getting, I ended up doing 20, 20, I was doing 20 quotes a week, some days doing seven quotes a day. I was run off my feet for two weeks flat. And that gave me this pipeline of work um, where I was taking these samples to people's homes. I I dressed, I had a little sign on the side of my Camry and I'd go to people's homes and they thought, oh, this looks all very professional. I didn't realize I was working out of a, uh, out of a student chair and I was using all uh, little rental property in Manning. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and that business actually quickly got traction, and then I was very grateful to have met a, a man called Gary Brown Neves, who who, yes. who who ran and owned and established uh, Webb and Brown and and the Allcock uh, Brown Neves you know group. Uh, amazing man! I'm forever indebted to him. He, I got an opportunity to go to the Webb and Brown. I, I rang them out of frustration one day and said, "Look, I I've got this um, product. You know, maybe be interested for your clients." And they said, "Oh, we'll put you in the boardroom and you can do a presentation." And, and i was you know nervous and very uh, naive and, and i ended up doing this presentation to to Alwyn evan um simon kane gary brown neves and the, the interior designer be, all beautiful people by the way and they gave me this hearing and and they just said this and even um one of the, the construction manager was there and they gave me this hearing and, and then this i didn't know who they were i had no idea about this industry or who the people were in the room yeah
0: and for people listening um if you're not sure who gary brown neves is basically one of perth's biggest builders you know owns a bunch of different building companies now a couple of joint ventures with dale alcock who's also one of perth's biggest builders so yeah basically there's no there's not really many land developments uh or estates or stuff that doesn't have them involved in around perth correct pretty much
1: very 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 successful fellows yeah and he came after the end of the meeting he come and this little small little fella with gray hair i didn't know it was gary he um says oh look can i come out and have a look at some of your jobs and i hadn't i didn't have any jobs to have a look at right but anyway the (laughs) following two weeks i did i had some and uh, and i actually he come and had a look at some of these installed jobs and and just at the end of that i'd showed him two homes and he he leans across the bonnet of his of his bmw and he says by any chance young man would you like some money and I was like, yeah, I'm blown away. I said, yeah, that'd be great. I, if I could you know, have some, some money, I, I could buy some stock direct from China and, and, and I could fill all these orders that I just got from the West Australian article. Um, and that was the story. That was how I got started. Right, he, so he, he, he loaned me the money. No, he had no interest. He didn't want to have any interest in my business. Wow. He just trusted me enough. He said, you just talk to my accountant and make sure it works and t- safeguard me and, and, and the money's yours. Wow. It, it was it was just uh, unbelievable, and that gave me the hundred thousand dollars to get started, and the rest was h- history. We took off, and within three or well, within five years, I was retired at age thirty two. I, I'd built a systemized business, uh, uh, fully retired. I was in at home in my tracksuit pants, and and, and life was was good Edible. as a thirty two year old, you know, entrepreneur. You know,
0: wow, what a story! What um, inspires you to you know you've just started? Most people, I'm sure, would be thinking. I've got to work my way up and start small and you just go to one of the biggest builders <laughs> in Perth at the time.
1: I th- someone asked me, why, why did you get in business for yourself? And I think if you're the sort of person where you keep thinking, my boss is an idiot, yeah, right? Then you need to work for yourself. yeah, Because if every single boss you come across, you go, I could do this job better than you. Mm. Don't you see that you've got a this problem here, you've got a product problem, you've got a customer service problem, you've got a cash flow problem. You can't. You see that. Yeah. So if you can see, if you're working for a company and you can see that, if you think oh, I could run this business better than you can, then you need to give it a shot. Otherwise, you're going to be forever one of those guys that's like, oh, well, maybe one day. You know. Mm. And I, I just ga- gave it a shot th- through of wind. And because when you got no money, yeah, you don't care. Yeah. You know. I think if you if you if you'd had a very successful career and you and and you had lots of money and a, and a wife and kids at home and mortgage, it might be hard. But yeah, when I had nothing, I will start Yeah. Go for it.
0: Almost like the naivety kind of just is a it's a huge advantage, isn't it? Yeah, correct. To start with. Yeah. I totally resonate with that and like would, would basically say the same thing about my own, you know, journey starting in business. It was really, if I had known how hard it was going to be before I started, like someone had showed it out to me and I listened to them properly, I probably wouldn't have done it because, mm. you know, it was just the naivety of... Uh, getting started and and just wanting to do well for myself really that that pushed me forward. Yeah, Um, I
1: I had a very simple goal. I wanted to own my own home. I wanted to have a business that I could incorporate because I I married my child at Sweet Art. I wanted to have a business where I could work together with her and I wanted to own my own home and I wanted to have a business premises that I could own eventually so that one day I could sell the sell the premises well basically sell the business own the premises and that would be my superannuation sure that was as simple as it was yeah to that, start with. that
0: was your definition of success then at, at the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. correct. yeah, yeah correct. what what is it now
1: i think as you get uh, my my journey um without being too philosophical is in in essence is i, I want to be the very best version of myself mm. and i think that large amounts of money or small amounts of money it's not really that critical as long as everything's covered. Yeah. Um, but if I can every day wake up and say, "What's the bravest thing I can do today? Mm. How can I? What? What's something that I'm? Where am I holding myself back? Yeah. You know. And I find that f- businesses are. I find personally, business is an extraordinary vehicle for personal and a uh, personal and professional development. Yeah. I think they're actually personal development, and professional development. I don't know that they're any different. I think they're the same thing. I think as you grow personally, your business or your career
0: grows. I think professional development is the term that uh, business coaches (laughs) and uh, trainers and bosses have put on personal development in the workplace really, isn't it? Yeah. To try and upskill or get their people to think differently or expand their awareness and situational and emotional awareness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think what I love about uh, entrepreneurship, what I love about business is that you actually get to test yourself, to push yourself because it's not comfortable. You know, and even when you get comfortable, things happen. Mm -hmm. Like I was there, I was 32 years old, comfortable, married my childhood sweetheart. My child had just arrived, beautiful house on the river. You know, I I had a million dollars of income. And it was a systemized business, working, bang, bang, bang. It's like I'd, I'd studied franchising, I'd studied systemization, I'd read e, all the books on e-myth and everything you'd come across. And that that was a really slick business. And mm. at 32 years of age, here I am at home, everything's amazing, beautiful child, lovely wife, everything's good, and I get sick. So I okay, go, so this is my next personal development journey, right? Yeah. So here I am, 32 Everything's going sweet. I got all the trappings of what material wealth would be. Thirty-two. You got your youth. You got your, you got your health. You, you've got a lot of energy. You've yeah. got enough money that you, you need. You've got a career path ahead. You got accolades, wife, kid, house. Everything's done. you yeah, cool. That's you not got the bad for it. Fairy tale ticked off. I got the, I got the fairy tale. Yeah, I, I got it, and that's not bad for a guy <laughs> who who uh, who only so ten years earlier would have been living on a concrete floor with yeah. a, with a single mum in a rural place called Australind. And then you get sick and I every, went never to every hospital doctor tests I had this very dreadful intestinal d- dysfunction and then it was like I washed my my weight went from 96 kilos down to 70 odd kilos in like a number of months and and it was like a runaway has like
0: and that's tiny for you because you're how tall are you six foot six 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 yes mm. <laughs> so <laughs> basically you're, you're a rake I was a very very yeah.
1: ill-looking man yeah and everybody was very worried and mm. that was the point where you go okay so this is where you have to question your your belief systems where you say okay you've got everything that the western world or the or the the typical entrepreneur or the typical person would want and that is you've got this wealth you've got your health you've got accolades you've got reputation you've got everything your house and the whole thing but then what are you going to do when your health fails mm. and you go i, I had a, at that stage alex i had a running coach I had a business coach, I had a life coach, I had a um, like masseur and chiropractor. I was spending $50,000 a year on, you know, coaching and professional these development people. And when I went to them and said, hey, listen, I've got this situation. How, how many of them do you think actually had could help me? Oh, probably none of them. No, yeah. none, Didn't not, have not, answers. A, not a single one. Yeah. And it took a very interesting, it was a brave call from my brother who rang me and says, hey, Mark, you, you should, the, the, the family's having meetings about you. Because you've got to realize that at that point in my life, I was a very egotistical, very materialistic guy. Mm. So I pretty much put a lot of people offside yeah. through this, you know, I think it happens as a young man gets very successful, he starts thinking highly of himself. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a, it's a, a trap yeah, for young yeah. players, right? So they've sort of had this discussion said, look, we don't know you're going to make it. We're very worried about your health. But my older brother must have been assigned the task to ring me, right? And what does a younger brother who's a multi-millionaire do to his older brother? it puts him down, makes him feel bad, right? So he's brave enough to ring me and say, hey, look, we're going to recommend that you go down the park and learn some meditation and and try and try a different approach to this thing because what's happening is is not good. Mm -hmm. That's my flip point, right? That's where I go from being this very, very driven, you know, highly energized materialistic egomaniac to actually going, oh dear, now I have to focus back on myself because this is going to be all over if I don't turn whatever this thing is around. And it was actually my brother said, go down to the park and learn the, the the Buddhist meditation practice down the end of the street called Falun Gong. And I'm like, hmm? Huh? And he says, I said, how much money do they want from me? And he says, no, no, it's, it's, it's an ancient practice, thousands of years old, passed from generation to generation. And it's absolutely, it's free. No one's allowed to make money. It's forbidden. I said oh that's odd <laughs> yeah, in yeah. my world i've Wouldn't got the running coach that yeah i got all these people i'm paying 50 grand mm. and here he is and then there's this, i go down to the local park the next morning lo and behold they didn't ask me for my name they didn't ask me for any money haven't done ever since and and there's this taiwanese couple down the local lake you know doing these gentle exercises look like a bit like tai chi so i felt like quite the
0: noodle you know, I, I yeah. felt really
1: quite embarrassed.
0: That's like what the old people normally see in the park <laughs> doing the slow movements, and you don't see thirty-two-year-old multi, no. multi-millionaires
1: down the park doing these Tai Chi exercises, yeah. freezing his ass off in yeah, the morning. Sure, that's not cool. Yeah, but it, it was what I needed. And these little these little Taiwanese people, they didn't care who I was. They had no impression of me other than mm. this guy needs to learn some exercises, and he's here. I'll just teach him. So I learned those, and a couple of weeks later, I, I, I squared this young lady up um, called May, looked down at her from my six foot frame, looking down at this four foot lady, and said, um, "What's uh, what's up with all this? Uh, I don't seem to be making some big improvements." <laughs> and she said, "Well, look, you've you've done the exercise, you've you've mastered the. That's quite simple, but you do recognize that the falun gong is a, is a mind and body exercise that where you you're required to improve." you know, yourself by returning to being truthful and returning to being kind, and returning to being tolerant. And I was like, okay then. <laughs> and that was like getting a brick in the head from a four foot gray woman, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's, I could see where I'd wobbled off the reservation. And if I was in baseball, I knew I'd struck out three times. Sure. So I says, okay, well, there's your chance to go to go back and and look at what you're doing. And I say, okay, and look at it from those principles. And I thought, wow, I've actually got, i got some work to do. So I uh, set about said, okay, for three months, I'll come down the park, and I'll do my best, and I go home, and I go to my work, and I try and just maybe just abuse people less, or maybe just drink less, or maybe just try not to be such a, a an egocentric human, mm-hmm. or maybe just try and swear less. It's just incremental changes, right? So you got so step by step. Within three months, the disease was gone. Wow. And I was.
0: I was like, couldn't believe it. So you started gaining weight again. Yeah, disease yeah. had disappeared and you, I started gaining weight. Do you know what it was now? Like Uh The
1: tests, oh, they were saying anything from some kind of manifestation of, of irritable bowel right through to initial poisoning from food um, that just ran away. It's just a de- it was just collectively like a degenerative intestinal dysfunction. Yeah. Um, And for every test and every camera that was put in places that they shouldn't go, they were unable to... Ascertain anything. In fact, the funny thing was, the the doctors at the end of this multi-month trial period of trying to find out what I what the medical tests were was, were trying to find, he said, "Look, we, we can't actually find what's ultimately wrong with you, and if symptoms persist, we suggest you see a doctor." <laughs> I was like, "I think you got that from the panadol packet, mate." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was. I actually, my, my um my wife was actually in the car when when it was actually coming over the speaker, and I said, "No." I think that means that that line of investigation for me is dead. Yeah. And that was when the next week I took the call from my brother. Sure. And then three months later, you know, the disease is gone and I'm forever grateful. And that's tipped my. So when we look at why do you do what you do, back then when I was, you know, even when I was 18, I recognized I just want to make an impact on the world in a positive way. Right. Yeah. I want to be the very best version of myself and I want to make an impact in the world in a positive way. Because I figure that being in business as well, it, it, it helps you influence a lot of people mm. in a really
0: good way. But do you think you like just kind of fell off the path a little bit? And Correct. when you said, you, you know, you became an egomaniac, so I imagine, because mm. I, I would describe that I've been one before as well, <laughs> <laughs> when I was about 24 to 26, you know, 23 up to 26. Um, and I, I just remember, you know, like all I was doing each day was obsessing about myself pretty much. Yeah, that's right? it. You just don't even think about anyone else, right?
1: You you're completely self absorbed. Yeah. And you and you and you're not present with people.
0: Yeah. So even in an interview like this, I wouldn't necessarily be present. Yeah, you would be thinking about what's on your phone and uh, yeah, the deal thinking. you might have going <laughs> on and yeah, yeah, I get it.
1: Correct. But you're certainly not thinking about other people. Yeah. And I think when this four foot Taiwanese lady called May, she talked to me about being kind and being compassionate. And I and I got her to elaborate. She said, Well, it's like you thinking about other people. Mm. And I thought, ooh, that's not me. And this truthful thing she's talking about, what's that all about? She says, well, not only just speaking the truth, but returning to your true character, finding your true self. Mm. And I'm thinking, shoot, who's she been talking to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then compassion. And then she goes and talks about patience and tolerance as these three guiding principles. And I'm like, ooh, I, I can't remember being patient and tolerant with anyone for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> So that's where I can see that when we look at those, ultimately, what I'd, I'd done is I developed these very selfish traits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's taken me now. So now I'm like forty-five. It's like it's this process of gradually just turning those selfish traits back into selfless ones, thinking about other people, trying to think about what actions, what what contributions I'm going to make to my world, to my family, to my kids. What contributions I'm going to make that are positive. Because before I would, it was more interested in what was in it for me, yeah, than how what I was doing would affect other people, yeah. And I think if that, if we look at a lot of the challenges in the world, you know, nations can be selfish, individuals can be selfish, companies can be selfish, and I think if we if we you could flip that around, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Mm. And even when I'm running my teams now, I'm always using those principles. Am I speaking very truthfully here? am i trying to protect myself mm. you know am i being very compassionate and sometimes being compassionate means i've got to fire people because they're, they're clearly not thriving you know they're clearly not you know a living example of excellence yeah so that role doesn't suit them just okay it's time yeah. to step off that race uh, and being tolerant is is something that is a daily it's a daily job you know you never f- is these things, that you never sort of master them. It's just like a constant process
0: of refinement yeah, is my definitely. understanding. Mm. Yeah, because when you feel like you've reached a place where you, you have mastered them, more stuff gets thrown <laughs> at you or a new challenge that you haven't faced before comes your way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really interested to dive back into the health side of things for you because, yeah. I mean, have you, you're a pretty healthy guy now. You look, you look pretty healthy. But uh, I have been following someone called the medical medium Oh uh, yes, online. yes, have you heard yes. this guy? yeah, correct. Yeah, Anth- books. Anthony yeah. Something. Williams. Anthony Williams. Anthony Williams. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a guy who who basically writes these books. He's got millions of followers on social media. Really, really, you know, successful published author, and he basically says that you know he is connected to source to spirit, mm-hmm. and the spirit guides him to have a like a deeper understanding of the human body, and he can just look at someone and see what's going on with them and yeah. crazy stuff like that, right? Yeah. But people swear by his his principles and, and the things he talks about. And, and really it's kind of, I mean, that's probably a lot of what he talks about is a more extreme version of us saying things like stress has an impact on the body, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. but science can't medicine can't really measure all of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I I just think it's such an important topic to be, to be sharing, you know, that there's, Your health has to start with just some really core fundamentals and...
1: Yeah, so th- this is an interesting one. So I'll try not to talk too much about this because it's a big, big rabbit warren. Yeah, it is. And you can really go <laughs> deep into the rabbit warren and get lost. But my, when people say to me, Mark, what do you recommend on the health side? You've got keto this side, you've got Anthony Williams on this side, you've got this, you know, low carbs, this and that and the other. And you go, and you, there's so much there's so much information and there's so much support for each one of those narratives. Yes. That it's almost impossible to debunk because there's so many success stories in each single one of them Mm. but your individual body is very unique and this is what i come to understand in my in my life's journey now i've come to have more and more respect for traditional traditional teachings traditional culture traditional values i think the more that we can fundamentally return to traditions the safer that we're going to be Mm. and we can explore that later but from a health point of view i just recommend to people to listen to their bodies more, and if you if you think that you know if you you try just try going off sugar for two weeks and see how it goes, and if your body responds, yeah, go with it. If it doesn't make any difference, don't worry about it. Try if you want to try having more green smoothies in the morning, or your celery juice, the celery juice from Anthony Williams. I, I had one this morning. I had yeah, the, so it. I. I started my morning with a with a with a lemon juice, warm lemon juice. Half yep. an hour later, I have my celery juice. Half an hour later, I have uh, like uh, an almond porridge, like an almond nut meal porridge, yeah, um, with berries, wild blueberries. So I learned from every single Where one do you of get these. Where did wild people. blueberries from? Uh, up this there's a, the there's a shop. I'll t- I'll show you. you. It's um me. <laughs> cool. What's it called? Um, frostberries in Malaga. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's a commercial place, but they have a, a retail shop front. Yeah. A commercial, and you can you know, pre-COVID, I went and filled my freezer up with wild blueberries sure. and, and everything I I could, and I, I'm still getting through. <laughs> but really good, and and I use it. Even my kids like they have every day after school. All come organic. Uh, you can get both. Yeah. Um, but I figure if a wild blueberry's wild, well, the bears aren't gonna be out spraying DDT on the berries. <laughs> well, hopefully <laughs> I, not. Yeah. I think so. But <laughs> the yeah, I just find if you can listen and and listen to your body more, be realize that you can't achieve so why do some people focus on success? I want to look good. For mm. me, I want to focus on my health because I want to be the best version of myself and mm. I fundamentally want to be calm. So if I look back on my journey, I remember saying in a conversation when I was 18 years old that I just want to be calm, right? And I look at when you say a simple, simple thing like that, I remember and I go, but that has resonated through my whole life, mm. right? I just want to be calm because I grew up in a, in a you obviously understand about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And I think a lot of people focus on weight and looks in health, they don't focus on this on their nervous system because mm. the nervous system controls the entire operation. Yeah, absolutely. Know? If you're in the in the fight and flight, if you're in the the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight and flight, the anxious state, you no matter what berries or what celery yeah. juice or whatever you put in, you are going to end up um, dead early and certainly not going to be the best
0: version of yourself. Yeah, your body's not producing the right chemicals that it needs, is producing Correct. more of the wrong chemicals, you know, more of yeah. stress hormones and G- things like is going to be it. out, your thinking yeah, is going to be out, brain fog's going to be setting yeah. in.
1: So I've been looking at this whole thing and, and it's this whole process of performance. So yes, I'm doing, so this morning I did a 45-minute meditation, you know, Falun Gong meditation. You know, I did my green smoothies. So I'm doing all those things. So all I'm doing is fundamentally grabbing good habits that work for me, watching the result, and rinse and repeat yeah yeah so i know that if i have too much heavy heavy fats or bad fats i know the next couple of days i can have brain fog yeah and you think Mark, your brain needs to be calm and clear mm. for you to be amazing so if your fundamental goal is to be the best version of yourself and you spent two or three days in fog you've lost half the week yeah so Do you i drink sp- alcohol uh i stopped drinking alcohol about 10 years ago
0: wow so you haven't had a drink for 10
1: years I wouldn't you say just, that, okay. <laughs> but but it's not, it's not a part of my life as yeah, such. Sure. So, But yeah, so that help, has helped me because I used to get terrible brain fog. I, yeah. I couldn't, I wasn't sharp, you know, I, although I was high, had high levels of energy, my mind was foggy. Mm-hmm. And I find that now I can, you know, even working on, even posture is now important for me. Mm. And working on posture exercise when you're six foot six, you know, and on a lean frame, it's easy to have bad posture. Sure. And I didn't realize that that actually contributes to you know, mental health contributes to anxiety, contributes to depression. So, food, and the digestion, the engine is the digestion system. You know, this nerve, the parasympathetic nervous system. If I can stay in that that rest and repair, which is the parasympathetic nervous system state, I can be the best version of myself. So, all I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to have a revolution. I'm just trying to basically say, what are the things that I can do on a daily, weekly basis that keep me in check so that I can be a high performer. Yeah. Because ultimately, whether I want, I want to be a high-performing dad. Yeah. You know, I want to be a high-performing human rights advocate. I want to be a high-performing, you know, son to, to my to my parents. I want to be a high-performing entrepreneur and leader to, mm. to my to my team. You know, every and even my friends, I want to be a high performer. I don't want to be too tired to c- catch up or or be engaged or be present. Uh, I want to be the best version of myself in all areas of my life. And uh, so that a little bit about the health and how I think, yeah, um, people should explore. You know whatever works for them
0: yeah i think uh something i've really learned this year is that you know you can go and follow these different modalities or diets and and things like that as long as you are um as you said kind of coming back to your own body intuition and the moment i started to actually take ownership of my health instead of going oh when i do that that'll i'll just follow what that person says it's like starting to understand it all for yourself, and, and taking full ownerships when it, you're able to take it to the whole next level.
1: And uh, my advice is that my personality type is like I can go to, to way to the left or way to the right. I can go to ex- sort of extremes trying to chase you're something an down. Yeah. yeah, I can I be. It. I can be. <laughs> <laughs> Who you been talking to? Anyway, what I suggest is that is you just keep it all in balance and yeah. don't get too fixated. Yeah, because I think. This is from my experience, is that we can get particularly fixated on modality because these people are very convincing. They have got a lot of good material, but then sometimes you just got to question that for yourself. Because I know uh, traditional Chinese medicine talks about every every human has different components that make them up. They're, they're not all built the same. They're all they're slightly different. Um, so what works for one person might be keto. What works for another person might be just. In Buddhist meditation what works for another person might be the carnivore diet but it depends mm. on the chemistry and the makeup of that person um, but traditionally we see traditionally through India through these ancient cultures like China Japan and India the, the people generally as they, they get further and further refined in their personal growth journeys or their spiritual journeys or their cultivation journeys because what we talked about earlier and what we're talking about a lot about today is cultivation journey how to cultivate oneself. In Western society, we refer to it as self-improvement, but in in Eastern culture, whether it be India or whether it be China or those countries, it's referred to as cultivation practice or cultivation. So they're trying to cultivate themselves. So so the ancient and the traditional cultures of the world always believed that humans were actually not here to self-aggrandize, to get material wealth and and to, to just have fun while they're here and then return to the earth as a piece of soil they believed that they came here for the intrinsic purpose of returning to their rightful place in heaven or or the universe, where they would do that by self-refinement. They do that by what they referred to as cultivation practice. So they sort of felt that everybody was here to refine themselves when they're here, you know. So as you get older, so what what I notice is that a lot of these traditional faiths and a lot of these traditional cultures, whether it be Indian culture, Chinese culture, these old ones, is as they get older, they generally eat less meat. Yeah. They generally often, they'll actually end up reverting to being vegetarian. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, obviously we've seen that the, the uh, Netflix has got a series about the, I think, Bland Eater or people think and you can just try these things. But I found that when I'm eating a lot of meat, it's harder for me to stay calm. Mm. It's harder for me to stay in that calm state. I'm actually not as, I'm not as functional. Yeah. So I have meat, I, I eat everything, to be honest. Um but I, I don't take things to extreme, but I do notice that as people get older on the health side, that people get a lot of health benefits from dropping dropping um, large quantities of meat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think a lot of the world's moving to more of a plant-based environment at the moment, which which isn't a bad thing. But um, I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on in the world at the moment. Um, yep. We're, you know, in WA, we're kind of a little bit probably protected in a sense from what's happening with the coronavirus just the way it's been managed but the whole of melbourne's in lockdown china's expanding its uh, territorial borders across the world and the us is kind of in disarray or what seems to be disarray with the upcoming elections yeah. and civil unrest what's your sort of opinion on 2020 you know what's happening in the world i think
1: it's a very good question alex and i appreciate you asking and i'll and i'll try and be as succinct as i can on this and what I'll try and do is, rather than sort of explain it because it would take a long time, is to help people understand, well, what are the fundamental things that seem to be going on behind the scenes that have led to this point? So how do we get to this point where you have a communist regime mm. developing biological weapons, you know, release, accidental or not, we, it hasn't been determined, but we do know that they, once it was, you know, out in the community, they deliberately let it fly around the world. So we do know that. So how did that happen? How do we get the situation where we've got massive social unrest in America? We've got all manner of social problems across the world. And we've got a lot of political instability. It's just it seems to be a, a really quite quite chaotic. Mm. And for me, I've been doing some further research on on the influence of two aspects. There's two there's two contributing things. I think communism. I don't not a lot of people understand Truly, what communism is or how it started, but it was obviously founded by Karl Marx, and and it was manifested through Karl Marx, and it's and it's been populated through the world in a large degree, and you you can actually follow its history, and I'm actually doing myself, my kids are studying at the moment, the the history of communism, how it came about, what's its intended purpose, and and how it was going to play out, because people think, oh, China's a communist country, or Russia's a communist country, maybe you know, Cuba, maybe like Iran or maybe places like North Korea. But what they don't realize is that the actual ideology of communism is actually being pushed into every country in the world. Mm. And that a lot of these challenges that we face without getting into sort of too many specifics actually can be can be traced very clearly through evidence that they actually come from a dis- deliberate attempts to disrupt our society. Yeah. So I think from the Western side, what we're experiencing is that... Because
0: um, you, you you have a belief that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that China are um, essentially intentionally trying to spread communism across the world and sort of infiltrate yeah. our societies. So that,
1: that brings out the, the second point I wanted to raise, which is a, it's a fundamental manifestation of a key strategy to undermine Western culture or Western, Western countries like Australia and UK, Canada, New Zealand and America is there's a book published in China called Unrestricted Warfare. It's actually translated into English. It was written by two generals. And it documents very, very clearly how the Chinese Communist Party intended to wage war on the world without firing a single shot, which means kinetic war means an actual physical conflict, bombs and and bullets. So what we've come to understand is when you read this book, Unrestricted Warfare, which you can just Google it on, you know, Google and you find it, PDF it's very very eye opening that the actual strategies that they've used which are numerous strategies to actually weaken their opponents which are the western countries like australia like america particularly america they they want to be the only dominant world power mm. and there's a lot of anti-american sentiment in australia which i, I don't quite get because what would you want to replace it with china as the as the world World police? Yeah. Someone's got to be the world police, right? Yeah. And if China becomes the world police and they're, and they're known for locking Xinjiang Muslims up and murdering them uh, in their masses, organ harvesting Falun Gong practitioners in their millions, you know, the, the persecution of the Tibetans, the wiping out of of the, the various different minorities that they don't like, would you want them being the world's police? Mm. I don't think so. No. I think we're starting to see that and I think people are starting to question, well, hang on. Yeah, you know, should we be bashing the heck out of the U.S.? Yeah. When, when, in fact, if it wasn't for the U.S., you know, I think we, we'd be all in a big trouble. What um, do you because think- they are the world's police, whether we like it or not.
0: Like, why do you think, as as a human race, we even need world police? Because the, you know, ideally, ideally yeah. you know, we should be able to live in harmony and go, hey, we're actually all the same, you know, human race. <laughs> okay, we're, we're sharing this planet you know mm. let's everyone just keep their egos in check and <laughs>
1: there's a really interesting series that is been now it was a book and now it's been turned into a documentary series it's called how the evil specter of communism is ruling our world and it actually helps explain that you know so i think fundamentally if people's hearts return to goodness you know they're not naturally going to or virtuous let's use the word virtue it's an under i think it's an unused term but Mm. if people return to goodness or virtue if a a human being an individual returns to goodness or virtue his life will naturally be stable and and he will be an intimidating person simply because he's just stable and balanced yeah you know he's not weak you know and if if a business becomes virtuous Mm. it becomes an intimidate it's very intimidating for its competition because it's just simply good stable and balanced yes right has good values good morals right yeah. and if a nation also has good values good principles good governance and and based on good morals good moral leadership then it will naturally intimidate its enemies mm. so if we look at We look at the larger world; it's chaotic. But if we look at individuals, so how do we, as an individual, improve? We cultivate ourselves, because we seem to like you know we we often talked about in traditional texts, a human being has both good and bad within him, right? So my journey has been this process of how do I strengthen the good side Mm. and weaken my negative side, my bad side? You're not saying I'm not gonna, you know carry the dialogue i'm a bad person i'm saying no i i exist in balance i have both good and bad sure i have both selfish and selfless yeah i'm trying to strengthen the selfless you know and weaken the selfish and if if, a, if an individual can do that then surely a state can do that surely a business can do that surely a nation can do that but if we see we, we don't see that right now we don't see that being virtuous is that very important anymore mm. you know it's, it's been replaced by other things sure. so there's a lot of un- unstabilizing aspects and and i've found that quite enlightening for myself to understand that journey by watching that that series. Um, it's actually put out by a company um, uh, news outlet called the NTD, New Tongue Dynasty, uh, and, and Epoch Times. And it helps explain how do we get to here? Because I can't fix these problems, right? I can't fix them, I'm just a, s- a simple guy. But if I can help understand how we got there, then at least I can not contribute to them. Mm. Did that answer the question?
0: Yeah, absolutely fascinating
1: the unrestricted warfare i tell you if if for people who read it yeah you'll never see china with the same light again you'll never Mm. think oh we should just buy from them and as long as we buy from them then everything will be fine as long as we you know we're in relationship with them their their intentions to are not good intentions
0: well i mean i i I genuinely think that the australian i think that the most of the governments around the world are, are really starting to question their reliance on china and we've seen that Um, through COVID-19 where um, Scott Morrison has effectively said you know hey we need a an inquiry into why the virus was released from China and China have you know pulled all of their all all of um, their imports or sorry we were exporting barley to um, China and they've basically cancelled that they've threatened to cancel beef exports and a number of other things that they're buying from us and Um, You know, you're starting to see governments like Australia, US, governments of Europe um, and the rest of Asia sort of come together Mm. to say, yeah, we've actually kind of allowed this problem to fester. Yeah. So, you Um,
1: see Trump administration is pushing back on intellectual property theft. Yeah. Right because these are this is types of warfare. There's so many, there's many, many different types of warfare and I, and I just type in unrestricted warfare and you'll get all mm. the types. There's a whole range, education warfare, you know, there's, pol- there's warfare through politics, there, but one of the greatest wars that they've been waging on the world is the theft of our intellectual property because I've worked and lived in China and, and traded with them for 20 years. They don't come up with too many original ideas because mm. they don't need to because they have massive arms of, of the Chinese military and government that are fundamentally stealing as much intellectual property from as many sources in the world as they can. They do it through the Thousand Talents program at universities, they do it through Confucius institutes at universities, they do it through putting people inside of businesses that work for the Communist Party that are feeding information straight back so that their economy relies on stealing to prosper. Currency manipulation relies it relies on basically underhanded thuggery yep. to prosper. And it's getting large swathes of money from the US capital markets and using it to then tackle the country that the capital money came from in the first place. Yeah. So if, if, if Trump was a, a clever fellow, which I believe he's, he's onto a lot of this stuff, if he cut the capital markets off or restricted the capital markets, They'd be gone in no time. Mm. So there's a there's a lot of things happening. You're going to see fundamental shifts. We're seeing bizarre biblical style natural disasters occurring in China right now. Everything is all showing you that, hey, something has to come to an end. Yeah, The whole thing can't continue to get so crazy. It has to come to a point where it has to turn around. Yeah. So I think we'll see some major shifts. Mm. Uh, I think we're seeing major shifts in, in people's understanding of China as a major threat people are now calling China out on their human rights abuses, such as the organ harvesting and the, the way they treat the Xinjiang Uyghur Muslims, the Tibetans and the Christians.
0: Mm. So that, that's, you know, I imagine people listening, some people listening thinking, oh, that's, you know, a lot of that's conspiracy theories type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you say it's obviously not, you know, the Falun, you're a Falun Gong practitioner. I've been reading up a lot on this and obviously there, there are some um, theories being thrown around the world about, uh, Hollywood as well, and um, <laughs> uh, you know, pedophilia in Hollywood. And something I read in that was that you know they they try and target uh, Falun Gong children to traffic to then harvest their blood um, yeah, to drink yeah. their blood. I don't know how yeah, legit all that, that is, but
1: that, I've not seen any evidence on that. But I know that there was a a, a tribunal put together last year because I've been helping. Um, I've been working with a lot of. I've uh, done a lot of work on organ harvesting. Um, in China, uh, what we call illegal organ procurement uh, or, or medical genocide. There's various different terms for it. Uh, but last year, there was a, a tribunal that was put together by a famous man called Sir Geoffrey Nice in London. He put together a whole legal team together and looked at all the evidence that was available uh, relating to this suggestion or that the Chinese government was harvesting the organs of their own people. Uh, they did a significant amount of, of, of evidence was put together. A significant amount of um, testimonials were put together, and it, and it went on for months. And, uh, and then the, the tribunal, which is Chinatribunal.com, actually produced a final judgment and it was damning. And it caught the world's media attention. It was extraordinary. And, and not only did Sir Jeffrey and he says, "Not only is this organ harvesting going on, it's going on at such a large scale that it's hard to put your head around Mm. but it's actually not only that it's been going on for a long time so it's been going on for at least 20 years yeah so i've met and and have a lot of inside knowledge which isn't necessarily all public to do this this thing is very real and it's very dangerous so when you have a government that is supposed to protect uh, its own people using its people for making money fundamentally yeah so organ harvesting was actually came about where they can wipe the Falun Gong practitioners off the off the earth, which is what Jiang Zemin said. He was the the, um, dictator at the time um, prior to Hu Jintao. And he made the decision that there was too many Falun Gong practitioners in China. There was like 70 to 100 million of them according to their own accounts. And they said, well, there's only 60 odd million people in the Communist Party. We need to do something about this. So he said, so just like um, Hitler made the Jewish people the enemy, Mm. so that he got the Germans to rise up against the Jews saying all the problems that we've got are all related to the Jews. So we better get rid of them. So he did what he did. Jiang Zemin has used this as a political tool to rise the whole you know, population of China up against these Falun Gong saying that they're evil, right? When all they're doing is this practicing truthfulness, compassion and tolerance and doing simple sure. meditative exercises. Yep. But they're very healthy. They're very, very healthy, as you, I can attest to. So their organs are the best organs for transplantation. So mm. part of the mandate from Jiang Zemin was you have to ruin their reputation destroy them financially and destroy their bodies so destroy their bodies allowed that mandate to occur where they can say okay we can make money from their bodies so there's purpose-built hospitals all over china there's dozens and dozens of purpose-built transplantation hospitals that are flying people in from all over the world and a lot in china as well you got 1.3 billion people in china with a lot of liver and kidney disease and they're doing anything up to 100,000 kidney and liver transplants a year by the 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 research that's done is very comprehensive they were just simply looking at the numbers of beds the amount of advertising on google and added up to at least a minimum just kidneys and livers a hundred thousand people wow now the chinese people believe in a reincarnation you know and they don't believe that you even cut someone's hair when they die everything about that body has to be preserved and they don't they don't They don't donate their organs. They do not donate their organs. So even the Red Cross tried to set up an organ donation program in China and they got like 300 people after like 12 months. Wow. Out of 1.3 billion. So it shows that they have a historical problem of donation. Yeah. So this is where it's led to a massive massive vacuum of people wanting organs. Uh, uh, Millions of people in concentration camps, whether it be the Uyghur Muslims or the Falun Gong. But these Falun Gong are super healthy. Mm. They were the ones that had the best transplantation success so they're the ones that have been used so double-edged sword you can persecute them to death and you can make money yeah so that was how that came about
0: wow it's um, i think it really opens your eyes you know listening to that about the sort of things that are actually going on in the world you know right now as we sit here and record this and it's very easy at times to just uh just get on with your everyday life and mm. you know not think about anything else because it's We've got you know we've got it pretty good here and um, yeah I just think it's uh, it's important that we keep talking about these sorts of things and and take action on it as well. If ultimately
1: the decisions and influence only comes needs to come from a few influential people, but if the if if enough Australians or enough people in the world said, hey look, it's not okay to trade with an organisation or, yeah. or or a government that harvests its own people that surveils its own people that steals and robs from our own our own businesses our own universities that does inflicts biological you know or potential we could say biological warfare but let's just say you know it was it was accidentally produced or accidentally released let's let's draw that line it was deliberately spread that they do know they stopped mm. they stopped the flights of chinese going from wuhan to inside of china so, people were not, Wuhan people were not allowed to travel to the rest of China because the virus was present, Right. but international flights were allowed to occur. Mm. So, they, so, so, Wuhan people were told, hey, we're going to put you all in lockdown, but we're going to let the international flights continue, but yeah. you're not allowed to travel the rest of China. Yeah, that, that, that's enough. There's enough evidence right there to suggest, hey, these people had malicious intent.
0: Yeah, sure. This is crazy. Um, yeah, so if crazy. we look at
1: if you've got an organisation, a government, say that is carrying out such a large scale atrocity over a large number of years, they would naturally want to buy the silence of as many people. They want to buy the silence of the UN. They mm. want to buy the silence of, the, of of the various different Western countries. If people can stay silent, if media can stay silent, then they can stay safe. Sure, and I think this is where a lot of the problems have occurred, as we've got deliberate silencing of influential media, of influential people, because oh, if you don't say anything about China, because you won't be able to trade with us and you won't make money. Yeah. So, if fundamentally, if people are consistently focused on how much money can I make, how much can we trade with China, then they're naturally going to say, well, you've you got to stay silent about our human rights abuses. Mm. Yeah, and this is how we, we, we've basically created a monster. Yeah. And now we all, as the world, whole world has to deal with it.
0: What do you think about the censoring that's happening on, you know, through social media at the moment? Um, Facebook censoring, you know, the biggest one I can think of is, you know, the doctors that stood out in front of Capitol Hill, I think it was in Washington, um, yeah. in the States and said, you know, we've, there's this drug that actually prevents COVID and can help treatment in the early stages of it. So hydroxychlorine, I think that's that's the that's name it. of it. Yeah. You know, that, that was taken down by Facebook, it's censored. I now see yesterday a comedian I follow, his name is J- J.P. Sears, he's from L.A., yeah. um, basically does parody videos of, you know, what's going on in the world and things like that. Yeah. One of his videos on YouTube got censored because he was making a mockery of wearing masks. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? It's, uh, it's pretty it, crazy. It seems
1: to be quite one-sided like it seems to be the shutting down of of conservative voice yeah the shutting down of the truth but but they don't shut down a a lot of very dark and sinister things yeah you know so it's like the dark and sinister things can populate propagate and expand but but if you want to talk about you know these other matters the truthful matters it's it's quite incredible Mm. but you, you there's a lot of you know there's a lot of talk about what's the reasons behind that but ultimately it's the value set of the ceos it's the value set of those organizations what values have they aligned with yeah what are they ultimately trying to achieve are, are they there for the betterment of humanity are they there because they feel they are you know if you're not in alignment with the who's recommendations on covert then therefore you're an evil bastard it was like well no Well, the who was found to be so super corrupt and and so in in line or or misguided or or they were in the pocket of the chinese communist party Mm. that they actually deliberately the who deliberately the information they didn't give the information to the world they could have helped stop a lot of this crisis they did not yeah so therefore then you go okay we have to listen to WHO, but they've been evidence is on the table clear as day that they they harm the world so why would we then have to only follow their story so there there has to be that's
0: why the us is withdrawn from them and great you know, I think that there's that sort of thing happening as well. But um, I, I, I think just generally around free speech is that, number one, democracy can't exist um, without, you know, complete free speech. And then number two is that humans and science have been wrong before and humans and science are wrong now in many ways. And we will continue to get it wrong because we'll continue to keep learning more and more. And there's You know, there's that whole pie graph of like here's what, what we know, here's what we yep. know we don't know and then the rest of the pie is um, everything we don't know, we don't know. Yeah, I think um, that's a very, very good point. And I think the stifling
1: of free speech, the stifling of opinion, it's, it's part of the if you, that series that's called How the Evil Spectre of Communism is Ruling Our World. It, it talks about how that came about because if you go to a communist country, it's actually it's a f- far more advanced model of what we're dealing with here you're in china and you talk about the dalai lama you're going to get a policeman knock on your door within no time at all really you know you're going to have your social credit system taken down if mm. you happen to be on the internet and you surf or browse you know uh hong kong democracy for yeah. example you, you're gonna you're gonna get be monitored you know so it's so extreme that the cameras on the street are monitoring them that their financial transactions are being monitored the videos are monitoring the, the internet's being monitored so that's that's the extreme version of it. Mm. But what we are in the West here is we're actually going closer and closer towards that. Yeah, yeah. That's actually the model of communism is to completely shut down your enemy. There yeah. is not you and I coexist, and you have your beliefs and I have mine, and you're okay. You have a different you know traditional culture, I have a different upbringing, I have a different culture, so therefore we we believe different things or have different understandings, but we're but that's okay. But what we're getting to now is that, and this is where we see in, in the communist system and, and the infiltration of communist ideology is that that you have to shut down all opposing beliefs. It's they are, It's just. It's not like you're still okay. It's like if you oppose me, like if you are actually you you actually think Donald Trump might be doing some good things, then you 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 have to die. Mm. You're an evil guy. Yeah, we have to take you down. Let's not look at the objective facts here. You, know, you have to understand that that narrative is not okay. You cannot follow that. And we recently had a, a story on um, ABC Foreign Correspondence where they're, where they're, they're, they're attacking the Falun Gong community because they believe that, that they have positive thoughts about Donald Trump. And I so, said, well, it's, no, it's, it's, a, it's a cultivation practice. It has no thoughts about any politics. It's, it's, it's politics-free. I said, oh, but the, this is art. So it's like you ha- they have to shut down any voice that yeah. they think could potentially be, you know, against what they say. So organisations... Can be infiltrated with these these values, which is a you know maybe poor values uh broadcasters can governments can individuals can businesses yeah. can it's it's all about your values right mm.
0: yeah absolutely yeah i i just um yeah, I totally agree with that i mean i think um it's clearly to me it's clearly being used at the moment um the circumstances of the world and fear is clearly being used to sort of spread this narrative and have the population actually buy into it that if someone has a different opinion, uh, that, you know, your life's at risk. Correct. Like, Isn't that's it? how people people feel at the moment, right? You know, you don't want to... I'm like, if I'm, well, if I'm not wearing a mask and you are, technically, you're protected, right? So, you know, I don't, wanna, don't really want to get it, too deep at, into but that but rabbit hole either, but... But, um,
1: but if we look at that, Alice, we look at about its control. It is control. And fundamentally... Did, did what he, is what is what is communism? It's big government. Like yeah. what is it? It's where government runs everything. Yeah. Right? And then who runs the government? An elite group of people. Yeah. Right? So in communist party there's like an elite group of politburo members and they're all like mega wealthy. Um but if you look at the people in China, they're very very hard working people. They are the ones that are being abused. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to think god, oh, geez, we you know this this we want to get out of China, but the people over there are suffering a lot. But it's the actual regime this communist regime, and it's all about control for them. So, we look at what's happened in Western countries, we're losing our liberties, mm. we're getting more and more. So, the government is getting bigger, right?
0: And one of the things that um, has actually happened in Australia, which you, you probably know about, during you know the last few months, the Australian federal government passed a bill to ban cash transactions over $10,000. Yeah. Um, and there was already talk uh, in that of amending the bill to to be $2,000. You know, so um, I believe that was the, it, it was rushed through during the evening. It was like wow. it was it was rushed through. There was no press given to it. It was just after the lo- first round of lockdown uh, restrictions were imposed and COVID had come about. Yep. You know, I, I think the thing we've got to remember in Australia or in any democratic country or even in the world is, you know, we are the people. We own the land. Like what? This is our is land. This day? is this is our government. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we vote. We are technically supposed to be the government. And if the government are doing things that actually aren't representative of being good for the people, yeah. then they they shouldn't be doing it. And um, you know, things like that don't don't give us more freedom. They don't give us more flexibility. It is more control. It's more. Mm. Um, yeah.
1: So if you look at thriving and prospering societies over history, over the history of man those with less governance yeah. those with less taxes and those that were based more on traditional values thrived and prospered mm. the more that the bigger the government get the more controls that get put in place the more the things get restricted the prosperity d- diminishes yeah the suffering increases and then and th- this is the process you go from freedom to control to co- governmental control so you go from small government to big government mm. and you, and you look at that process and, and that seems to be what's happening
0: yeah I agree.
1: There's an amazing group of people that um, fight strongly against this, and I actually had, had the opportunity to speak at one of their conferences. and They're called the Libertarians, and they're and they're they're like see this online, yeah. They're, they're yeah. this amazing group of people, and and they talk about you know the basically breaking down big government and returning um, freedom of choice, freedom of choice, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of enterprise, freedom of everything back to the people. And uh, and and it's a quite an interesting, uh, some very interesting conversations and some amazing people and they attract some very successful people because the more successful people become, the more they realize that, you know, it's, we should be able to take full responsibility for ourselves. Mm. So the, the underlying factor behind all of this is that I don't want to take responsibility myself. I want the government to do that. I want the government to take care of my health. Therefore, I need health messages. I want the government to take care of my money. Therefore, you high taxes and you take it. I want the government to take care of everything for me. So I don't have to take responsibility myself. Therefore, I'm under full control, mm. and and that's exactly. There's a book called 1984. I'm sure people are most familiar with it, George Orwell. There's a there's a movie on that, and it actually talks about what happens when all of you you give up those things. What what the end game is, mm. and you want to know what the end game is. You go up to China and and, and as a, as a as a Uyghur Muslim, as a as a Tibetan, as a Falun Gong practitioner, you know what the end game is. It's it's tragic. Mm. And if we and if we relinquish these value, if we relinquish these freedoms now, systematically over a period of time, your your son and my children will live in a vastly different world where even thought speech, even the words we use, like we we have a, a, a timber that we have at our a company, a very popular tree and it's called Blackbutt. It's a famous tree. We, we can't even use the the name. Like Google says, no, you can't advertise you've got Blackbutt flooring. It's like because… It's got the word black, but, you know, oh, my goodness. So, if you watch the book or read the book, 1984, or read the, or watch the movie, they talk about controlling speech. And if you can control someone's speech and you control how people talk and, and they control their speech and what words they are and aren't allowed to say, then you can control their thinking and mm-hmm. you can actually control people. Yeah. So, I think freedom of speech, being able to say whatever we feel like we're going to say, like almost even this, mentioning the word black, it's almost like you people are going to swing their head around like, and yeah. say, did you said the way black? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's amazing. So, and you look at that book and it talks and it shows exactly how. And you look at what the Chinese Communists did. They had this traditional culture, 5,000 years old. What did they do? They rewrote the dictionary. They rewrote the words. They took all the inner meaning out of the words and they have what we now called in China, tr- simplified Chinese text. Where in Taiwan, where those people escaped from communist rule, they have traditional Chinese text, right? So their words mean are, are different in their meanings than what they are in China because they've taken all the inner meaning out, which is all the traditional values, which is all based sure. on morality. Yeah, yeah. So you take morality out of the words, then people can free to do what they like. Yeah, people doctors can get involved in organ harvesting. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole whole range of ghastly things that are being perpetuated by people on people mm. because their morals have gotten so low. But that comes from a systematic breakdown of those people over many generations. Yeah, and that's what we have yeah. to basically hold the good people of the world. That we need to hold back and push back against these things because it's like the tired broom. You turn your head and it's up to your knee. You go grab another beer. You turn around, it's up to your waist. Yeah. You 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 grab a co- prawn cocktail, come back and it's it's up to your neck. You got to really watch this thing because it it's it's incremental, incremental. Yeah.
0: I used to live in Karatha, so I know the the title <laughs> season very well. Um, yeah, yeah, to, I I can't um, express that enough. And and I think you know this is part of this podcast for me is about sharing these types of conversations and bringing this sort of information to the light for people. Um, because as I said earlier, is it is just so easy to not think about it, get caught up in what we're doing. Oh, yep, I'll accept that. I'll accept that oh, the government's doing the right thing by us, and you know, ultimately they're not in many cases the more
1: freedoms you relinquish yep. and the more responsibility you don't take for if the, the more of your personal responsibility you give to someone else yeah or give to some other entity the less empowered you are the 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 more misery you're going to inflict on yourself yeah true true happiness is, for me is just taking 100% responsibility for everything I say mm. think and do and being held absolutely accountable for that and holding myself to high values in what I think, the way I think, what I, what I say to people and what I do. And then I can get to the end of the day, I feel happier. Yeah. You know, you, you get to the day where you, you feel not so good about yourself because something happened during the day you're not proud of. You know, you might have yelled at a staff member or you might have, you know, you know, been your son's gotten the better of you, right? The better you can hold yourself accountable to all those things and if we systematically do that and you look back after 10 years, you go, wow, I've made a lot of progress. Yeah, made a lot of progress. Mm. Personal accountability is the is the forefront for being free.
0: Yeah, extreme ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's been a, a pretty deep conversation there. Um one thing I like to finish off with in all the, the episodes I've done so far is um just a pretty simple question. What do you find most interesting about yourself?
1: Yeah, I did I saw that question come through and I thought, Oh my god, what am I gonna say here? Mm. You've got me on that one. I think I would say that I'm an observer yeah. of the world. I ex- like I seem to feel and experience things maybe slightly differently to others. Mm. Even people, I can, I can sense and feel things that, that aren't necessarily being spoken. I can sense, like I, even, I, I seem to be an observer of the world and I think that's helped me. To try and uh, I'm not one of these people. I, I one of these people. I sort of through my observations. I'm trying to work things out. You know, I'm trying to say, okay, what's happening over here in the world, or what's happening with my son, or what's happening with my business, and I'm trying to get better and better at, at trusting myself, of believing my my instincts, believing my observations, and uh, I'm not sure if that's a a good answer.
0: Yeah, there is no right or wrong answer here. It's uh, I think the reason I like this question is because it it. You know, it just causes a level of just—it's asking for self-reflection, really, which is yeah. which is cool. So, well, Mark, I, I think we're gonna have to maybe book another time so you can come on the show again in into the future. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. I think we we could probably continue for um, a couple more hours if we had the time. So, thank you. Um, nice. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, it's been really, a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Uh,
1: yeah, really enjoyed, it and I hope your your listeners get some. Uh, some inspiration and some some something from it. So I appreciate yeah, being here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Alex Waters Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Waters. You can find me on Instagram at Alexander Waters. i love to connect with you um, and get your feedback and any questions or topics or things you want me to cover in the podcast. I hope this episode opened your eyes, inspired you and, uh, you know, I hope that we all get the opportunity to do something for other people, and and you know focus on what value we can bring, not only to ourselves but to others. So, uh, you can find Mark uh, on LinkedIn, Mark Hutchison, or just follow all the links in the in the about section of the podcast. Um, you'll find everything you need there, and his business, uh, Lifewood, is here in Perth, as I said earlier in the podcast. So. Be sure to check out next week's episode. I've got I've been recording so many shows. Um, it's gonna be really cool. That's it from me. I'll see you next week.